And I invite you to turn with me, if you will, first uh, to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, we're going to read verses 7 through 11 and verse 21. A familiar passage for many. This is what has happened just after Adam and Eve uh, took that fruit that God told them not to and ate. And so we pick up in verse 7 with these words. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you? that you were naked. Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Now down to verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. And now if you uh, turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 19. We're going to read verses 1 through 10. This will be our main passage this morning. This too... A familiar passage, story of Zacchaeus, one of my favorites. Luke chapter 19, uh, verses 1 through 10. This is our God's word. He, that is Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone and like to be the guest of a man who is a sinner? And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And so ends the reading of our God's Word. Let us ask his blessing on our time uh, in it this morning. Our gracious God, your Word is a lamp to our feet. It is our guide through the dark. It is the wisdom and the truth that we follow each day. It is sweeter than honey and yet sharper than swords. It is healing and it is justice, and it is ours to obey. 
It's your word that gives us understanding of your grace and your peace and your love. And these are the reasons we draw near to you in your word this morning. And so we pray, speak to us, O Lord. Use your word to transform and renew our hearts and our minds that we might know you and love you better, we pray. Amen. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he, right? We know the song, we know the passage. It's, it's familiar. If you don't know it, ask your children. They'll teach it to you. Uh, but it is one of those uh, great episodes in uh, our Lord's earthly ministry while he walked among us during the incarnation. And it is, it's, a, it's a wonderful passage for so many reasons. It's interesting, in, in Luke's gospel... It is the, it's the final story in, in a series of episodes that begins uh, with Jesus telling that parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee who were standing outside the temple. You might remember that. Uh, and each of the episodes that follow help to illuminate that parable, that story that Jesus told. And so there's the story of the children being brought to Jesus. There's the parable of the rich young ruler. Uh, Jesus talks about what awaits him in Jerusalem. Uh, there's the story of the blind beggar that uh, Matthew tells us was named Bartimaeus. Uh, and these are all meant to help us understand, help illustrate that story that opened with the Pharisee and the tax collector outside the temple. They're all about how we approach God. And the question that is, they're trying to help us answer is, do we, do we approach God trusting ourselves and our own righteousness, or do we approach God crying out to Jesus for mercy? That's the great question. How do we approach God? And this morning, I want to look at that final episode uh, to this section with Zacchaeus, uh, which closes with that well-known statement, that statement so many of us know, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. But as with most well-known passages, it runs the danger uh, of being safely familiar. Because when we know things well, we quote them to other people, but we don't meditate upon them. We don't slow down and think about ourselves. We don't think about their context. We don't, we don't wrestle with what it means for our own place in our journey, our own struggles. We, we quote it to others. Don't you know that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost? But if we're not careful, we go no deeper, and we miss the comfort that is intended for us in, in our hardest hours, our, our, our darkest shame. Because in Zacchaeus, each and every one of us is meant to see ourselves. This passage is not meant for you to comfort other people. Well, you might do that next, but first, it's meant for you because Zacchaeus's comfort... And his joy are meant to be our comfort and our joy. And so this morning, as, as we look at this, I really want to drive home one simple point from this passage, and it's this. 
Jesus knows your shame, your feelings of unworthiness, and he seeks you out anyway. Jesus knows you. He knows everything about you, and he knows your shame, and he knows how unworthy you feel, and yet he still calls you and seeks you out with his comfort. That's what we want to see from this passage uh, this morning. Now, we know that Zacchaeus was small, and size is a funny thing. Uh, It's so important to us. Uh, We admire those who are tall, and uh, we question those who are small. This is why David was initially overlooked. You remember when Samuel went to David's home, and he looked at all his brothers and thought, surely one of them might be the next king, but not the little guy over there. In fact, that's what people loved about the current king, Saul. He was a head and shoulders taller than everybody else. He was the kind of leader that invoked awe and respect and made the enemies tremble in fear. Size is important to us. And Zacchaeus didn't have size. At best, that would mean he would be ignored. More likely, he was mocked and ridiculed as he was growing up. Perhaps that's why he got into tax collecting. Uh, Tax collectors held a lot of power in society over their fellow citizens. Uh, Typically, The tax collectors in Israel were Jews who were working for the Roman government, and they could use intimidation and coercion to extort money out of their fellow Jews, and there was not one single thing those Jews could do about it. Zacchaeus wasn't just a tax collector. He was the chief tax collector. And so if tax collectors were a hated lot, the chief tax collector would have been the most hated most despised among them. Uh, The tax collectors were sort of the epitome uh, of scum in Israel. Uh, They were identified in the Bible with the likes of Gentiles and prostitutes. And so Zacchaeus was like a foreigner in his own land, hated, loathed, despised. But his name is interesting. His his name meant righteous. (laughs) That's ironic. Uh, And I'm sure he and everyone around him got the irony. Perhaps you remember uh, that parable that I said started this section with the the Pharisee and the tax collector. The tax collector, he stood off at a great uh, distance and and, and we're told he was unable to lift his eyes. He was staring at his feet. He was staring at the ground. In other words, he was filled with shame. And Zacchaeus would have been no different. We're told in verse 2 that he was wealthy. But every time he spent that money, he'd be reminded of how he got it, the lives he'd ruined, the pain he'd caused, and how no one wanted to be around him while he spent it. It was tainted goods. It was obtained at the expense of his neighbors. He had acquired a position of great wealth, of great power, but I'm sure he discovered, as all eventually do, that wealth can never give the peace and comfort that he thought 
it would when he first set out to pursue it. It could never remove the shame that he felt. It could only increase it. And shame is powerful. Uh, It can come for many reasons. I think we know the most common reason we feel shame. It's for doing something that we know is wrong, especially when we've been warned. And it starts when we're young. Our parents give us rules, and we don't like it. We want to do what we want to do, and so we do. (laughs) And then, and then we feel terrible. And then we get angry. We blame other people. We we say mean things, but really inside, what are we asking? What are we thinking? We're, We're asking, what's wrong with me? And why did I do that? And and why do I keep doing that? When we get older, we just want to be accepted. We just want to be a part of the crowd. And so we follow our friends down paths that we know we shouldn't go. We know better, but but we sacrifice our principles on the altar of acceptance. And we say, I'm going to do whatever it is to be one of the crew. And then afterwards we wonder, What's wrong with me? Am I broken? And is there any hope? And as we grow, so does our sin. That might be sexual promiscuity. It could be pornography. It could be uh, anger and abusing and mistreating others. Or in a moment of fear and desperation. Perhaps we've chosen abortion. And then we go home, and we sit there, and we wonder, what if people knew? What if if people saw below my curated surface and, and saw just how broken I am? Maybe you've served in the military and in a, in a split second had to decide whether or not to participate in something that now haunts you. And the cause that you thought you served ends up being a mirage. And and the reality is ugly. And you come home and everybody starts praising you for your your service, but really inside you're, you're wondering, what if they knew what I had done? Would they still want to be my friend? Or maybe you're not the one who's done the mistreating. Maybe you're the one who's been mistreated. Maybe you've been cheated on, taken advantage of, abused, violated. And now you're the one who who feels dirty, defiled, used, and unlovable. And you simply don't believe you have anything left to offer anything left to love, that you're simply unworthy. There are many reasons we feel shame, but if you're human, you have some history with shame. And it only gets worse as you get older. You think when you're young, I'm going to conquer this, but it gets worse. 
And different people respond differently. Some spend all their time trying to convince everyone else how good they are. Like the Pharisee in that, that parable, they, they announce their accomplishments, hoping that if others believe it, maybe they themselves will eventually believe it as well. Some choose instead to volunteer for service. They throw what's, what's left of their life into serving others, thinking that if they just pour out what they have left, maybe they can make up for the wrongs they've done. Some choose instead to grow bitter and angry and treat others badly. Unable to feel love, they are un- equally unable of showing love to others. Others try to drown their shame in different kinds of indulgences. There's drugs, there's alcohol, there's pleasure, there's materialism and possessions. There's also that temptation to surround yourself with friends who wantonly indulge in the same shameful pleasures, hoping that your shame will be hidden in the shame of others. And then there's always the oldest temptation just to run, hide, and isolate yourself. And I think that's what's going on with Zacchaeus. As he heads up this tree, uh, it's, it's interesting. I know it's translated sycamore tree, and I, I fear I'm about to ruin somebody's image here, uh, but this is not uh, what is truly what we know as a sycamore tree. Uh, Stephen Cathy used to have a bunch of those lining the front of their yard in California. Um, it's translated sycamore tree because that's what the Greek word sounds like. But really, it, it's a variety of a fig tree with big, broad leaves, which would have been perfect. Uh, sycamore trees are quite hard to climb. <laughs> fig trees are remarkably easier to climb, and then they have these big uh broad leaves, and that's perfect, because climbing up this tree would mean that Zacchaeus could see Jesus and yet virtually be invisible behind those leaves. You know how it is where you hide behind something where you can just see through a small crack, but no one can see you. He could see, but not be seen. It's what everyone who has ever experienced shame wishes for. If it's starting to sound familiar, that's intentional. The echoes to Adam and Eve running and hiding from the Lord behind fig leaves is not incidental. You're supposed to think of that day when when they rebelled and suddenly realized they were naked and they felt shame. When they ate the fruit that they were told not to eat, that they had been warned about. And then they heard the sound of the Lord approaching, and they wished to see but not be seen. They were naked, covered only in their shame, and so they ran and they hid behind fig leaves. But uh, Zacchaeus's camouflage was not as good as he thought it would be. It never is. And so as Jesus drew near, we're told that he looked up 
and called Zacchaeus by name. Those details are important. He looked up. He was looking for Zacchaeus. He was seeking him out. And can you imagine how Zacchaeus must have felt? (laughs) What? He sees me? (laughs) He knows my name? This cannot be good. I'm discovered. I'm found out. I'm exposed. What now? But what came next was the last thing Zacchaeus ever expected to hear. Jesus calls him by name and says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. I must stay at your house today. Verse 5. Entering into somebody's house in those days meant something. Sharing a meal, fellowshipping, meant that you were friends. This is why Jesus always upset the Pharisees sharing meals with sinners. Jesus was inviting Zacchaeus to be his friend. Jesus isn't there to mock him, to destroy him, to shame him. He's there to make peace. Can you imagine the relief that this chief tax collector must have felt at that moment. Because Zacchaeus was the one no one wanted to be around. He'd walk down the street and people would look the other way. Don't make eye contact with Zacchaeus. And now he's being sought after by the miracle worker of Nazareth, the one everyone's talking about, the one everyone wants to be near. And he's coming to Zacchaeus' house. And Zacchaeus knows he did nothing to cause this. He doesn't deserve it. He didn't earn it. Jesus sought him out. Jesus pursued him. Jesus wants to share a meal with the chief tax collector, the the one most people didn't want to share a meal with. (laughs) And he elated filled with joy. Zacchaeus hurried down and and he took Jesus into his home. That was Zacchaeus' response. Enthusiasm and joy. But the crowd, the crowd was a little less enthusiastic and joyful. Uh, They grumbled. They grew angry. They resented Jesus for befriending this Sinner. We have to ask, what is it that makes people uh, respond that way? What makes people get angry when someone else has shown kindness? And the answer is they think they're better. They think Jesus should be coming to their homes, not this tax collector, this sinner. They're angry because Jesus spends his time with sinners, with tax collectors, and yes, with prostitutes. And when he chooses them over the self-righteous, those who think they're better, he's telling them, your self-righteousness isn't enough. He's saying, they need more. 
that his eyes see their sin. He knows their shame. Everything that they have worked so hard to hide, he knows. And so they lash out. They try to make themselves feel better. They accuse Jesus of being with the one with the problem. After all, he enters the home of sinners. But should that really be a surprise? Did, did you notice how this passage end, opens with what town he was entering? He's entering Jericho. Do you remember what happened last time God came into Jericho? Do you remember with whom his people stayed, whose home they entered? Wasn't it a prostitute, Rahab, who would become the great-grandmother of David and the great ancestress of Jesus? Why would those in Jericho be surprised that the Lord is going into the home of a sinner? They shouldn't be surprised, but they were. But as for Zacchaeus, he becomes like a child. And he lets go of everything. He promises to give five times the required amount to the poor. He, he promises to give beyond the legal requirement for restitution to those whom he's defrauded. Because he's no longer trying to cover his shame with his riches. And he's no longer enslaved by his wealth. He's been set free. Zacchaeus is a new man. He's a new creation. He's He's put his faith in Jesus, and that faith has been counted to him as righteousness. That's the history of God's people, isn't it? God's people trace their lineage back to Abraham, whom we were told was a friend of God. But Abraham did not have a righteousness of his own. He was a sinner. He had his own shame. Some of that is recorded for us in Genesis but we hear those sweetest words in Genesis 15. Abraham believed God. Abraham put his faith in God, and it was credited to him, counted to him as righteousness. And like Abraham, Zacchaeus surrenders himself to God. And in return, his shame is removed. And in its place, God gives him his very own righteousness as if it were his own and for the first time in his life Zacchaeus's name represents who he is in God's eyes Zacchaeus has found salvation he's his sins have been forgiven and his shame has been covered and Jesus says this is why I come I've come to seek and to save the lost. But really, it could be no other way because who does Jesus claim to be? He claims to be the God of Israel, the Lord, Yahweh. And this is how the God of Israel has always acted. Because What happened when Adam and Eve sinned and were covered in shame and they ran and they hid behind fig leaves? The Lord came and he called to them. He wasn't there for an evening stroll, shocked to find sin in his garden. He was not caught off guard. He knew what they had done before he ever came 
That's why he came. That's what he was there to deal with. And so as he approached, he he called out to them. He came to seek and to save what had been lost. But as he did, there was an impediment because their shame was real. Their sin was serious. And the wages of sin is death. And that means someone or something has to die. And so we're told at the end of Genesis 3 that God killed an animal instead and covered them in their skins. Adam and Eve's naked shame covered in the death of another. This episode with Zacchaeus has so many echoes to that day with Adam and Eve. Jesus behaves just as he did years before with Adam and Eve. Zacchaeus even refers to Jesus as Lord, as Genesis 3 does, verse 8. And so we ask, where's the sacrifice for Zacchaeus? How will Jesus cover his shame? Because sin is real, and the wages of sin is death. Someone has to die. It won't be long in Luke's gospel before we find out. Jesus called Zacchaeus down out of a tree, knowing full well that in order to save Zacchaeus, Jesus himself would have to climb a tree. He would be the one to die to cover Zacchaeus' shame. That's how Jesus removed Zacchaeus' sin, his shame. He bore it in his place on the cross. And that's good news. It's good news for you. It's good news for me. Because if you feel like Zacchaeus, unworthy and unwanted, then there's hope. Because Jesus knows your shame. He he knows those feelings of unworthiness and he seeks you out anyway. That's why he came, to seek and to save the lost. That's who he is. Praise God. Because that is good news. It is the best news you will ever hear. Let us pray. Our merciful Savior, you are good, so good. You know us and everything about us, everything we think we can hide, deny, cover up, ignore. You know it all, and still you seek us out. That's why you came, to seek and to save people like us. And so we thank you that there is room for sinners like us at your table. That you took our shame and you bore it on the cross that we might be as white as snow. And so teach us, we pray, to receive your grace with gratitude and to tell others where we have found mercy and grace and forgiveness. We pray that you would use this church as a light in the darkness, as a beacon of hope for sinners. Use it in your mission 
of seeking and saving the lost, we pray. Amen.